Hello, my friends. You are listening to the Oblivion Spin Presents podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tinsley. That's Eric with a K. Or you may know me on the web as Oblivion Spin. I am a writer and an artist and not necessarily a sound man. I'm going to be reading to you a trilogy of novels I've written, starting chronologically from the beginning. If you're from the future coming back to this episode, feel free to start with the first episode of The Eagle or an attempt to clear the cobwebs. These books can be read in any order. You do not have to begin here. For non-time travelers, those of you who are with me in this very brief present, this temporary now, or those of you who choose to come visit here, you are about to hear a story told by Aubrey about their past, their higher self, and their next, or perhaps simultaneous, incarnation, Luna Trim. Luna is a woman who does her best to mind her own business far in the future. And no, I don't think reincarnation is linear. Not many things are, though. Grab your tea, keep your eyes on the road, make sure that your solder station has heat going to the correct tip, and without any further ado or pretense, this is episode one of Unwoven. Lights from the bar below the apartment twinkled like misplaced stars. Even though they had burned out months prior, they clung to the sky on a frayed thread of memories. This was our last hurrah, our last chance to shout to the world that this was eternal, this was sustainable, this was truly us. Our shouts, if we had bothered to make them, would have been drowned out by the drunk chorus of Auld Lang Syne that flowed from the bar. She sat on the porch, swirling a bottle of champagne and taking ladybird sips. Her exhaled breath drifted off into the atmosphere. I watched from the window, too worn to reach out. A million light years later, the bulbs had stopped flickering and I was lying delirious on the couch in an empty apartment. I pulled my blanket over my shoulders, fixed my gaze towards the sliding glass door, and ignored the hand resting on my neck. Why are you so afraid of everything? I could just barely make out the withered remains of my latest failed attempt at porch gardening. Why won't you look behind you? You know I'm not here. I touched my face to check for my glasses. I wasn't wearing them. Why won't you just turn around and look at me? Satisfied that my eyesight hadn't gotten worse, I pulled my arms tight to my chest and drifted back to sleep. The events culminating on New Year's Eve began with me standing on a welcome mat on an August afternoon, wondering if I should ring the doorbell. The apartment was on the second floor. I'd carried my belongings for the week, a cardboard box of clothes and my laptop, up the pebbled stairs myself. I could hear the life within, but was unsure if I was really supposed to take part in it unsure that I would be welcome there. Just left of the apartment, there were dozens of potted plants clinging to the railings. I wondered about the residents there for a moment, before looking up at the door. There was an eye peering from the peephole, and the door opened as soon as I made firm eye contact. In most environments, your eyes adjust to the color of the room. Even if the light fixture is casting a yellow hue, your brain balances it so that white paper is still white. In this apartment, everything was beige. No matter how long you stayed, your eyes and brain could never quite communicate with each other how to adjust the balance. The beige did not dull the colors or dirty them, it tied them together. Nothing was quite neon, but things were still bright and beautiful and because of the beige, they were somehow warm and welcoming. She was humming around the kitchen in a tiny pink apron and tattered jeans, 
She had clearly noticed I had arrived, but did not come out to greet me just yet. Her present task of canning peaches demanded her attention. I sat on the tattered carpet just inside the door and pulled a book from my box of belongings. I blinked my eyes until I could come to terms with the fact I had just been dreaming. My stomach felt woven in intricate knots. Clever, trying to sleep off a delirium. They say insanity is... I lurched forward, barely catching my stomach bile in an old Tupperware. You're too thin. I've been sick for the past week. I might have lost a few pounds. Excuses, excuses. She followed me into the bath. Look at yourself. You can see every bone in your body. Look, I know you aren't here, but please go away. I slid into the tub and draped a washcloth over my eyes. If you know I'm not here, why ask me to leave? It's a cute but rather useless charade, isn't it? She paused for a moment. You do know I don't exist, right? Yeah, I know you don't exist. Go away. The room was quiet except for the whir of the fan and the humming of the pipes. My eyes were shut, but I could feel cloth lifting off of them. You can't wish me away. Open your eyes. I can't wish you away because you don't exist. If you're going to stick around, though, do me a favor and shut up at least. Open your eyes. Her face was white and pale, and despite the eight dark eyes, it resembled a human skull. Her body was long and yellow, and her eight arms and legs were spindly, gracefully yet awkwardly sprawling outwards from her core. Despite our completely different proportions, we must have weighed nearly the same. Were you expecting me to look like this? Her fangs twitched. Why are you always a fucking spider? I splashed bath water at her. The heat from her rage evaporated the water droplets before they had a chance to land. She blinked, her eyeballs opening and shutting in a staggered wave across her face. Why are you always you? I don't wake up in the morning and decide what form to take. You're a human, and I'm a spider. It's just how the universe made us. I pinched the bridge of my nose and clamped my eyes shut. If you're trying to scare me, it's not going to work. I'm not afraid of spiders. No, but you're afraid of many other things. She folded her legs beneath herself and rested in her web above me. Are you seriously going to live in my fucking shower? You let the Daddy Long Legs live here. Daddy Long Legs don't take up half my damn shower. Go live on the fucking porch and keep the other bugs out of the garden. I don't eat bugs. Oh, God. Enough with the cornball trying to freak me out shit. Let me guess, if I ask what you eat, you're going to say humans. Hilarious. I pulled myself out of the tub by the towel rack and slithered into the bedroom. She followed behind me, her eight legs making the smallest tap with each set of steps. Humans tend to be gamey. I'm more of a... That's great, I just remembered I don't fucking care. You didn't have to be rude. Right, I'm the one being rude right now. I staggered to my dresser and snatched a set of clothes at random. Where are you going? For a walk. You can't go out, you're sick. I'm fine. I tugged the door extra hard to make sure it slammed shut. I didn't bother locking it. If anyone wandered in while I was gone, maybe the spider would go home with them instead. I smiled to myself at the thought and walked a few doors over to the local yarn shop. The apartment smelled of peaches, of course, with an underlying scent of lavender, herbs, and incense. It was uncomfortably comfortable. The feeling of accidentally wandering into a party you know you do not belong at and being offered a drink and told to make yourself at home because the host thinks maybe you're their cousins plus one. With every fiber of my being, I was an intruder, but I could not have been convinced to leave. 
She called out from the kitchen. Why didn't Mom come in to say hello? I don't know, I mumbled. She left as soon as I got my stuff out of the car. Odd. She did not seem bothered in the slightest, or to particularly think it was that odd. I'll be making dinner in a bit, but there's plenty to eat if you're hungry. Thanks. I always mumble. I opened my book and pretended to read it, glancing up at the room between each word, trying to take it all in in little sips. I wandered back to the apartment, bag of fibers in hand. For a moment, I forgot about my pests, wondering instead where I would find a place to put the wool. I pushed the door open to find her on the sofa, folding the wash into neat piles. I was going to take care of that. She shrugged as well as a spider is capable of shrugging before gesturing towards my bag. What are you going to do with that? I'm going to weave a tapestry for my sister. I'm going to spin each little bundle of fibers and weave a great mural documenting the year I lived with her. For her or for you? For her, I fidgeted for a moment. Why? It just seems needlessly cruel to give her an artistic rendering of one of the worst years of her life. The spider half blinked, half rolled her eyes. If you get around to it. I think she'll like it. I'm sure you do. I tucked the bag between my spinning wheel and the wall and wiped a streak of dust off the bobbin. Well, why are you here? Her eyes lit up one by one. Did I not tell you? I'm here to scare you. Didn't I tell you I'm not afraid of spiders? I know that. Her fangs flexed when she talked. The only thing you're afraid of is yourself. Not true, actually. Drowning, never accomplishing anything in my life, and dying alone are all bigger concerns for me, personally. Thanks for the pseudo-psychoanalysis bullshit, though. And what do they all have in common? I leaned into the fridge to get a glass of water. They're all things I'm afraid of. She rubbed her paws across her fangs in such a way that I imagined she was regretting not having teeth to grind. Answer's good enough for me. Shed my clothes and hunted down my pajamas from earlier. I will repeat myself. What do those things have in common? And I will repeat myself. I leaned into her face. They are all things I'm afraid of. She lunged at me. I nearly fell backwards trying to scramble out of her way, eventually tripping over my abandoned pile of clothes. She crawled on top of me. All those things you're afraid of are things that you almost caused to happen to yourself. Things that you are sure if happened would be by your own hand. They are proof that you are still afraid that your life will be ruined by your own demons. I turned my head to see the clock, wondering if there was any chance of a knock at the door to end this. She was not pleased with my inattentiveness. You are more concerned about a spider who, for all you can figure, does not exist than you are about the fact that you hurt yourself so you can use pain as an excuse for your own complacency. Is there any distraction you won't use as an excuse to make yourself feel like you don't have problems? Is there any length you won't go to to make sure you don't feel even the tiniest bit of discomfort? I wheezed. She was starting to feel heavy on my chest. I don't know what you're talking about. You believed everything everyone has ever told you if you thought you could use it as an excuse not to fix yourself. That's not true. You have been hiding from invisible spiders your whole life. She pressed down harder on my chest. I'm not afraid of spiders. You are afraid of yourself. And I'm not a spider. You don't know what you are, do you? I know exactly what I am. Sitting on the floor in the beige room, reading Great Expectations and drinking in the warmth, 
I did not know exactly what I was, and at fourteen I lacked the self-awareness to quite put my finger on what was missing. Adventure, confidence, a sense of belonging. Nothing I could think of quite felt right. Do you want to go to the Redwoods? She tossed me a brochure showing a cable car riding up and towards a giant tree. I nodded, then hesitated. I was supposed to read this before school starts. Of course, schoolwork first, she smiled. Imagine being dropped in a pool of water. It wraps around you and envelops you completely in the warmth. If water was something you could breathe in, that is what it felt like. The warmth and comfort filled every crevice of your lungs if you could trust it enough to take that deep breath. If you could only get past that fear that it would drown you. I was not quite brave enough to breathe yet. I treaded water with my face in my book and tried to focus on the cold of the surface. You're drifting off to somewhere you can't escape to. Get off my chest! My face was hot from struggling. She crawled off and perched on the back of the couch. I sat up and tried to catch my breath. You're wrong. I'm right and you know it. I know you know it because you imagined me, created me, summoned me. You're the one supplying me with the fuel to feed this fire. Why are you a spider? You're too thin, she squinted. Maybe you're trying to starve yourself. I am not. I've been sick for a week. I haven't been able to eat. This isn't the only time you've refused to eat. She cooed and retreated back to her web in the bathroom. I curled up on the couch and waited to fall asleep again. My eyes wouldn't shut. I eventually pulled myself from the couch and took a seat at the spinning wheel. I pushed the bags of untreated and unspun fibers aside and pumped my foot on the treadle, watching the fluffs of dust float off into the atmosphere as the wheel spun. I willed the dust to cover the nagging something that lurked in the back of my mind so I wouldn't hear it anymore. If Luna Trim had seen the world map hanging on the wall above my spinning wheel, she would have not recognized its features or been able to pinpoint where exactly she was. Luna was not lost. On the contrary, she was certain she had walked the path between her apartment and the archives at least 10,000 times over the past five years. Initially, she had set out to keep count, but had lost a succession of tallying sheets between the usual clutter, her occasional forgetfulness, and the tendency Lexington had to spill beverages over her scraps of paper. She wrinkled her nose at the thought and shook her head. Luna pulled a book from her satchel and handed it to the desk secretary before heading back into the rows of books. She ran her hands across the spines and shut her eyes, pulling out one at random. Ancient mythology and lore. The cover had a set of symbols on the front that were distinct enough she was certain she would have recognized them had she read the book before. She flipped through the pages until her eye was caught on an illustration of a spider. Luna had been reading every source on spiders she could find since she had seen an illustration of one in an old gardening book a few months prior. They were thought to be extinct, but although she had not seen a single one the entire time she had worked in her garden on the surface, she held out hope that they were not. She signed the book out at the front desk and glanced at the clock. It was noon. She tilted her head back and forth for a moment before resolving to take her book to the recreation room for an afternoon of quiet reading that, if she was lucky, would not be interrupted by Lex. There were several recreation rooms in her general vicinity that she knew of. The one closest to her dwelling was in ill repair and not a particularly good hiding spot. She settled for the one in the next community over. The room was furnished in a pleasant maroon. There were several tables around the room, a shelf full of games for people to borrow and a set of couches in the back corner. 
A well-dressed man with dark red hair and reading glasses lounged across one of the sofas, his nose in a book, a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and an ashtray balanced on his chest. A pile of books stood neatly on the coffee table behind his head. Luna wove her way around the tables and situated herself in the corner of the vacant couch next to the lamp. She took her shoes off, tucked them under the sofa, and curled her feet beneath herself. She dug through her satchel for her book while studying the man on the couch next to her. There was something familiar about him that she could not quite place. He was an enforcer, of course, and she was certain she recognized him from photos in the newspaper or just seeing him out and about. But even though she could not remember ever meeting him properly, she knew she had watched him smoke a hundred cigarettes before. In her distraction, Luna opened her book upside down. The checkout record slipped from their pocket in the front and fluttered to the ground. She leaned forward to pick the paper from the floor and lost her balance. Without looking up from his book, the man put his arm out to catch her. He waited until she had fully steadied herself before reaching down, picking up the paper and holding it out to her. She took the page reluctantly. Thank you. He pulled a cigarette from his mouth. Always my pleasure. Luna watched him for a moment longer before opening her book. She started to return the records to their proper spot when she noticed her name on one of the previous pages that had not fallen out. She held the book closer to her face and studied the date and her signature, more than five years ago, before she had started her work on the surface. The year had been a complete haze, and she was not surprised she could not remember something so small as a checked-out book. Ah, yes. The checkout records, certainly a pinnacle of modern literature. The man looked at her over his glasses and smiled slightly. If your book is really that dull, you're welcome to read something from my pile. He tilted his head back towards the corner table. I have, unfortunately, yet to master the art of reading multiple books at once until I do, the extras are rather redundant. Luna laughed. I'm actually not sure how this book is yet. I just noticed I borrowed it years ago and do not remember it. He ground his cigarette into the ashtray, set it neatly on the table behind him, and swung his legs off the couch. He stretched as he sat up. Ancient mythology and lore. I must say it sounds fascinating, but that is a pet interest of mine. She handed the book to him and tilted her head sideways to read down the spines of his books. History of philosophy, deviant psychology, postmodern linguistics, arachnology for arachnophobes. Luna stopped reading the titles after the last one and pulled it from the pile. Do you always carry around so many books? Only when I'm spending an afternoon in hiding. He glanced up from the mythology book to see what she had chosen and grinned. An excellent book on such a fascinating subject. He leaned back into the sofa and resumed reading Luna's book. Luna could not read all the words in Arachnology for Arachnophobes, as it was written in a fairly outdated script. She studied the illustrations, though, and could understand the gist of it. The book was more thorough than any book she had found in the archives on the subject. Her thoughts were interrupted by a gentle tap on her shoulder. She flinched. I did not mean to startle you, Luna. I just wanted to thank you for loaning me your book. It seemed rude to head off without saying that, at the very least. How do you know my name? He ducked his reading glasses in their case and straightened his jacket. I told you that checkout records were a pinnacle of literature. I read them, of course. Right. She closed his book reluctantly and held it out to him. Thanks for letting me look through this. I've not seen any books like it in the library. By all means, finish reading it. Just leave it on the end table, and I will stop by for it later. I cannot stand the thought of a book half-read. I consider the words meandering through your head, half-unfinished and longing for their brethren to arrive.
It would be a tragedy, and there are certainly enough of those that my meddling or lack thereof is unable to solve. His movements were fluid and automatic as he spoke, as though he were simply running through a familiar ritual or trying to play off the fact he was nervous. He gathered his other books and a handful of notebooks into a neat pile before emptying the ashtray into the trash can. That is awfully kind of you. She felt his name on the tip of her tongue, but couldn't articulate it. I do not believe I caught your name. He looked her directly in the eyes. It was lovely running into you, Luna. I truly enjoyed our visit, but I'm afraid I must be going before my protege manages to make more work for me. I'm sure you will find your spiders if you keep looking. Yes, lovely chatting with you as well. He gathered his belongings and left, smiling slightly at Luna when he turned to half-shoulder his way out the door. Luna watched the door shut behind him before returning to the book on spiders. He was peculiar, he was familiar, and come to think of it, she was certain she had never signed the checkout records with her first name. She frowned and pulled the papers from the front of the lore book and checked over them. Both times she had written simply, L. Trim. Luna flipped through the book on spiders, hoping for a name, but there was not so much as a mark on either cover. She sat perturbed for a few moments before resuming reading. As if to add insult to injury that he had not been able to find Luna or get in contact with Wren the entire day, Lexington also discovered that there was not so much as a single scrap of paper in his inbox. He stood by the rows of mailboxes for a moment and tried to discreetly catch a glimpse of what other enforcing officials had received. Lexington, Wren shouldered his way through the main door into the office. If you insist on having knowledge of your co-worker's correspondence, perhaps I should demote you to assistant office postmaster. Where the hell have you been? Lexington glanced over his shoulder at Wren. I've been trying to get a hold of you all day. Wren was carrying a stack of books that went from his hip to his chin. If you have a moment, would you terribly mind getting my office for me? My hands are rather full. Lexington took a few bounding steps down the hallway in front of Wren and opened the door at the end of the hall. Wren thanked him, set the books on his desk, and immediately set to work reshelving them. I kept trying to contact you, but I could not get through. Wren gestured towards the communicator lying on his desk. What a tactical oversight on my part. It seems I forgot it in the office. He dusted the edge of the bookshelf. It is almost as though I wanted an uninterrupted day off for once. Lexington grabbed one of the books that Wren had not yet shelved. You will not read this book, Predeterminism and You. It is an interesting premise. I do not entirely buy into it, of course, but I've certainly heard less convincing theories. Wren finished shelving his books and took a seat at his desk. Lexington looked between the book and Wren for a moment. What if there had been an emergency and I needed you? Was there? Wren raised his eyebrow. Because if there was an emergency, that would certainly make for a more interesting conversation, and next time you should probably lead with that. No, Lexington flopped in the chair across from Wren. But what if there had been? You're supposed to have my back. Wren focused on lighting a cigarette before responding. Were there an emergency situation where you could not contact me, you would contact James, and he would either hunt me down or help you remedy the situation as needed? Could you not reach James, his assistant Maury, or in a dire emergency, Director Fields would have been acceptable alternatives? Wren took a drag. As would Carter, Alex, Roger, and truthfully half the department. Now, need I remind you that unless I manage to miss out on a coup while I spend the afternoon reading, I severely outrank you. In fact, he gestured thoughtfully with his cigarette. You are under direct orders to stop nagging, effective immediately.
All right, I'm sorry. Now, were you hunting me down on official business or because you could not find your case and were bored? How did you know I couldn't find Luna? I ran into her while I was out and about, which, incidentally, is also how I know there was not an emergency. Where was she? I couldn't find her anywhere. I'm not going to give up her hiding spot, nor one of my own for that matter. Your job is to keep an eye on her, not be an unending nuisance. Lexington turned the book over in his hands. That has been bothering me, Ren. What has? That you have a tendency to be a pest? Because there are actually very simple solutions to that, most of which involve not having a crisis when your friends want to spend an afternoon reading. No, not that. Lexington smiled. I was wondering why I'm still on the case and still reporting to you. Ren tapped his fingers on his desk. Would you like off the case? No, I just want to know why after six years of nothing happening, you're still directly involved with the case. If anything, I assumed you would have delegated it to someone lower ranking at some point. It is a bit of a pet case. Ren gathered a few folders from around the desk and stood. As I mentioned earlier, today's my day off, and this really is not an emergency. Unless you want to discuss predeterminism over a game of cards in the recreation room, I'm afraid I cannot help you much more right now. He ushered Lexington out of his office and locked the door behind them. Lexington glanced back at the clock on the wall. All right, what are your thoughts on the matter? Wren nearly smiled. I'm actually more curious as to yours. If it does exist, you are the one I expect to break it. I remember looking out at the night sky, how it was impossibly black and yet full of the twinkling from the street and shop lights behind us. The nights were quiet and full of chanting from the neighbors next door to us. Everything was an oxymoron when you put it on paper. But in the moment, it was magic, teetering in the exact line between opposites. We were creators. We were consumers. We were in the middle of the city, a quiet oasis. The center of the universe, the edge of infinity. Everything made sense when I took a deep breath in. <laughs>